0: I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm your host, Bailey Evan. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss the cut articles and my general pop culture musings and i'm so sorry guys that we took a bye week last week it was a whirlwind literally figuratively my best friend was in town my little sister came back from scotland i was preparing for hurricane dorian thank god it didn't hit west palm sending all of my love to the bahamas donated some months to them i suggest everyone do the same and it feels good to be back and i have to say that i didn't totally take a bye week last week even with all that going on we recorded about an hour long taylor swift track by track review but the audio was so shite because i have no idea what i'm doing i have no idea how to record with more than one person on a microphone it was literally two girls one mic i didn't know what i was doing the audio was shit But that being said, I'm going to see if I can salvage any of that Taylor Swift review because although I'm not sure if it was coherent, not just from the audio side, but also from uh, just the general content side because we were like two bottles of wine deep, I still think there were some gems in there. Uh, but with all that being said, let's get into this week's articles because I don't think we have any updates this week other than I think Miley and Caitlin are now living together. So, guys, I really may be eating my words about that fall wedding next year. Like, it might be happening. I said they both end up with men, but who knows these days. All right. So our first article for today is Martha Stewart's feud with Gwyneth Paltrow is still going strong by Marie Lodi. So to give you some background on this feud, it started all the way back in 2013, when TMZ asked Martha who would be the better lifestyle coach, her or Gwyneth. And Martha said, oh, for heaven's sake, you have to live to be a coach. Now you may be blissfully unaware of Goop, Gwen's lifestyle brand, which is often compared to Martha's lifestyle brand. And describing things as goopy has become shorthand for things that are wellness oriented, Usually not backed by science, but damn is that stuff they have on there pretty inexpensive. I myself have fallen victims of lusting over something on the goop list more than once. And honestly, if you are traveling to a city and there is a goop guide for that city, those guides are bomb. I'm telling you, it has never steered me wrong. Or even on studies that I know pretty well, like Miami, I can vouch for the suggestions on there being super good. The shopping, the restaurants, the hotels, the cocktails get into the goop guides. And on the other side of this, seven year old me loved Martha. I watched her TV show. I made her cakes with my grandma. We made this amazing coconut one with lime curd cream. We still make it to this day. And by we, I mean she, but even back then I thought Martha was a bitch and I loved that for her. I honestly thought she was the baddest bitch around. Like she owned it. She kind of knew she was a bitch. Uh so that's kind of the background that I have for you on Gwen and Martha. And recently I was watching John Favreau's Netflix show and you might have heard about this, but I literally didn't know it was going to come up and it-, it shocked me. So he had Gwen on as one of his guests. It's like a cooking show where he has on, you know, people he's close with, famous chefs, a- other actors. And they were chatting and, and John Favreau says, "Yeah, we were in Spider-Man together." And Gwen just had no clue. This chick literally had no clue she had been in Spider-Man Homecoming, which, by the way, guys, is a fantastic movie. I would say we're already at September, and it is my best movie of the year so far. I loved it. I don't like watching movies again. I would watch that movie again. I love Tom Holland. You know I love Zendaya. It's such a little heartwarming ditty. Jake Gyllenhaal is amazing in it. Actually, Jake Gyllenhaal might be one of my favorite characters in it. He killed it. Anyways, I just love this level of cluelessness coming from Gwen. And I get it. I mean, the Marvel movie what universe is ginormous. I don't blame her for getting confused that she had been in Spider-Man Homecoming specifically. Like, she probably was filming and straight up thought she was in an Avengers movie. And no one told her otherwise. And, you know, how is she supposed to keep track? It's all the same homies in all the movies. I can't blame her but she's clueless and as clueless as she is and unaware as she is she is funny like i hate to admit it i told you guys i'm resistant to goop i don't want to like it but i do and i don't want to like gwyneth because she's too perfect she's so blonde and she's got the little boobs and her in that pink dress accepting her oscar it's a lot but she has some zingers if you follow comments by celebs on instagram you will see they quite often feature Gwyneth and I feel like she's coming for Chrissy Teigen's spot as Instagram queen she leaves a great Instagram comment and she's really winning me over back to the feud so fast forward to 2014 and Gwen told us weekly if I'm really honest I'm so psyched that she sees us as competition I'm so psyched I really am talking about this you know feud with her and Martha And then fast forward once more to August 27th, 2019, and we have arrived at our cut article. So what happened most recently was E was discussing how Martha had been on an episode of a podcast called The Corp. And she was asked what she thought about Goop. And the question was, how would you describe what Gwyneth Paltrow is doing today versus what Martha Stewart created years ago? And this is how Queen Martha responded. I don't follow Goop, she replied. Sometimes I look at products that she's selling. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I don't know if that's an ellipses cutting out content or if there was a pause in her saying this. I like to think it was a pause. I wish every young entrepreneur well, and I hope that there are many, many different kinds of entrepreneurs. If they're movie stars or hardworking women like I am who are not movie stars, if they have a good idea, I want them to be able to succeed. So good luck, Gwyneth. Uh... <laughs> so I'd say on the surface, this seems like nice enough. But the kind of flippant good luck Gwyneth at the end when um, hello the goop empire is already worth 250 million dollars. I don't really know if Gwyneth needs the good luck. And I really like to think if Martha and Gwyneth got together like for real and just like had a couple G&Ts, a little dirty martini, they'd get along really well. They'd have a grand old time. And Uh, i i know they've met in the past but like i said i think it has to be a one-on-one hang no you know chris martin or current husbands attending just a chill martha gwen uno y uno is that the term i don't know okay well that's the end of that article i loved that one i love a good celebrity feud especially between two blonde queens This next article is called Gypsy Rose Blanchard Has Called Off Her Wedding by Marie Lodi. Girl, it's a Marie Lodi doubleheader today, guys. I think I kind of, um, you know, float towards her articles. I really like them. I enjoy them. I don't mean to pick hers out, but here we go. Gypsy Rose Blanchard is the Munchausen Syndrome by proxy victim who was convicted of orchestrating the gruesome 2015 murder of her mother, Dee Dee. And she's broken off her engagement to her fiance, Ken. Back in April, a family friend told E! News that Ken had reached out to Blanchard after he watched the HBO documentary Mommy Dead and Dearest, which told the story of, you know, Dee Dee's munchausen by proxy where she used gypsy and this turned into a relationship through email and then ken went to visit gypsy and that was the beginning of the friendship which turned into something more than a friendship i want to start by saying if you haven't seen mommy dead and dearest i know i'm throwing a million recommendations at you guys every time it's my homework my fun ass homework for you guys but please go watch this documentary it's disturbing i have to say like it's 100% disturbing there's no way around it but it's captivating. And to give you just a little more background, if you're not getting the gist here, Dee Dee is a complete on psychopath and used Gypsy to basically get stuff like, you know, free trips to Disney, sympathy, money. And she would literally poison her and take her to the hospital, convince Gypsy and the doctors that something was wrong with her. And It it took so long for this to unravel that this is what happened. It pretty much only became evident after the death of Didi, which is disturbed. That to me is the most disturbing part, is that no one was helping Gypsy. And she was confined to a wheelchair. Her head was shaved. Her dental health wasn't taken care of. She was literally abused her entire life by her own mother. And I think, you know, Gypsy, as she got older, started to become aware of this level of abuse. That when she was younger... She just accepted it as nor- her normal because it was all she knew. And once she became aware of this, she started seeking out relationships online. Understandably, because the person who was supposed to love her and care for her the most wasn't doing that, was literally doing the opposite and poisoning her and confining her to a wheelchair. So again, it makes complete sense as to why Gypsy turned online, found someone who cared about her there, and convinced this boy, Nick, to ultimately come to her house, commit the murder of her mother, Dee Dee, and he got life in prison without parole, but Gypsy, as an accomplice, was sentenced to 10 years in prison, which she's still serving. And it's so heartbreaking to me, because I think it's so obvious once you watch this movie and learn about Gypsy's case that really what she needed was mental rehabilitation for all of the abuse she underwent as a child, and not 10 years in prison, but that's neither here nor there because girl can get it she found herself a man in prison and online like if we're being real and i mean this one that she found in prison convinced to um get engaged with her so again obviously murder is a disgusting crime but damn do i feel bad for gypsy and i have complete faith in you, gypsy that you're gonna find yourself another man and really, I think this is all more just a testament to how sad my dating life is that I can't even get a guy to take me on a dinner date or any date, even a coffee. I don't know. Some pay me, you know, for a movie ticket. Jeez. Gypsy, teach me your ways. All right. On to our last article of the day. Scarlett Johansson on Woody Allen. I believe him and I would work with him anytime by Zoe Haylock. So Scarlett Johansson came out as a Woody Allen supporter this week in The Hollywood Reporter, and she said, How do I feel about Woody Allen? I love Woody. I believe him, and I would work with him any time. I see Woody whenever I can, and I have had a lot of conversations with him about it. I've been very direct with him, and he's very direct with me. He maintains his innocence, and I believe him. And this is all interesting because back in 2014, she claimed that she was completely unaware that there was even a backlash against Woody. And... Celebs these days, I would say, are pretty aware of the general distaste towards Woody and hesitant towards working with him. For example, in the film A Rainy Day in New York, Selena Gomez, Timmy Chalamet, and Rebecca Hall, which was a Woody Allen film, they all donated their salaries to various charities that support things like the LGBTQ community, the Time's Up movement, among others. And this article doesn't really discuss this, but to give you a little refresher, Mia Farrow and Woody Allen had Ronan Farrow together. Well, allegedly, because I wholeheartedly believe that Frank Sinatra is actually Ronan's father. Because Ronan is way too beautiful to share fugly ass Woody's DNA. And in a 2013 vanity fair article mia farrow even hinted at the fact that sinatra may in fact be Ronan's father so maybe our girl mia doesn't even know herself but getting back to Ronan, he's been pivotal in un- uncovering stories behind the me too movement for example he wrote the new yorker article that detailed the allegations against weinstein it came after the new york times story broke about weinstein but Ronan really got into the details of the whole thing And he kind of started the whole shitstorm that led to so many sexual abuse allegations against people high up. You know, he did a whole big story on Les Moonves, and I think he's a really incredible journalist. So going back to Mia, his mother, she had a few adopted children, and one of those was Dylan Farrow. So Dylan Farrow is a girl, and she's alleged that Woody has sexually abused her. Interestingly, Woody also went on to marry Soon-Yi Previn, which is another adopted child of Mia's. So both Dylan and Soon-Yi were adopted by Mia. And Dylan's saying that Woody abused her and Soon is now married to Woody. So I'm sorry, to me the logic is not that far off that even though he's denying his claims about Dylan, it's like, hello, you married Mia's adopted child. Like, you were probably diddling the other one too. So basically, he seems like a sicko regardless, because while he wasn't publicly with Soon until she was of age, who knows what the hell he was doing. So it's just strange these days to have a celeb publicly come out and support him the way Scarlett did. I found that kind of shocking. And to provide you with a little update, since when I had originally done my notes on this, there had not yet been a statement from Dylan, but she tweeted, because if we've learned anything from the past two years, it's that you definitely should believe male predators who maintain their innocence without question. Scarlett has a long way to go in understanding the issue she claims to champion. Boom, Dylan, you tell her. So that we don't end on such a creepy-ass note let's get into today's legit shit and guys I think this is a good one I haven't even received it in the mail yet even though I Amazon primed it yesterday um so I can't really vouch towards it but I wanted to let you guys know because apparently it sells out really fast and I'm telling you guys I'm so excited about this one it's the bone my Again, you know me and my French, no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but you know those little cute jars of jam and jelly with the little gingham red and white top and the cursive on the front, and like they have them at like Cracker Barrel, you know that, yeah. It's an advent calendar filled with 24 of those Adorable little jam jars with exciting flavors like Mirabelle plum and Linden. I don't know what the hell either one of those is, but damn am I excited. There's also a purple fig and cinnamon that I'm really looking forward to. So as usual, you can find the link to that in my show notes. It's only around $35 and I get an advent calendar or two or three for myself every year. Last year, shout out to my aunt and uncle, they got me a Hatchimals one that I loved. And yes, I I'm aware I'm five, but I swear that if you have an advent calendar, it will bring some joy to your life this December. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as usual, you can find me on BaileyEvan.com B-A-I-L-E-Y-E-V-I-N.com at Bailey Evan on YouTube and at Bailey Evan on Instagram. And if you're lucky right here, I will insert some Taylor Swift tidbits until next time. Bye. I have with me my best friend of 12 years, can you believe it, friends from 18 to 30 years old, my fellow pop culture lover, writer extraordinaire, and in fact, she is known for her reviews of pop culture CDs. In the past, she's done Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, One Direction. Here we have Elena. Say hi to the podcast.
1: I'm, I'm beaming. I'm just so, <laughs> so proud of that intro. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, it... I'll start you from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I first heard this, I was like, it sounds like Clarissa explains it all. Oh wow, a great show. A great show. Maybe not the last <laughs> song we needed to start this album.
0: But see, I kind of like a 90s callback, though. Maybe that's why I like this song, and Elena's not a huge fan. And it speaks to me because when I was very first telling her about the album and my initial thoughts on it, I think this captures that unique feeling of like when you're trying to get over someone, but you still continue to think about them a lot. Even though you're past that point of like having good feelings towards them, you just can't get them out of your mind and that's kind of what this song is about and how she wakes up one or is it a magical night i forget when it happens for her and she's forgot that this person existed and my theory is that this is about calvin harris because she says that when her reputation started to go down he got out the popcorn and you'll you'll recall he was pretty vocal about the fact of her beefing with katy perry and how he had been victim to her kind of i don't i don't know what you want to call it like fuckery i guess
1: so that's my thought on this song but Uh, I will say that it's going to take you a solid minute and a half before you hear the first instrument (laughs) it's (laughs) a lot of doodop bebop weird noises and I also think that Bailey is right that it's nice that she's treading on new territory of I feel like it's nice to recreate the love song yeah yeah a new spin on it kind of
0: next we have Cruel Summer
1: Cruel Summer first thoughts, mint chocolate chip. <laughs>
0: in like a good way? Yeah. Okay, because it's refreshing and kind of chunky?
1: Uh-huh. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like Cruel Summer and Mint Chocolate Chip, when I first heard this song, I didn't think I liked it, but then I was a few bites in and realized that I really liked it, and I wanted more. It's more-ish, yes. like you just want to keep eating. Right. And it mint chocolate chip was just because it does have like summery vibes
0: yeah yeah for sure
1: <laughs> <laughs> the background music. <laughs> uh,
0: I appreciate the sound effects they're very necessary on a podcast uh, I think this is interesting because this is when you kind of start getting her uh, religious imagery getting thrown in in this song you have devils roll the dice angels roll their eyes you have unbreakable heaven And this is something she repeats throughout the album. And again, when I first heard this, I didn't know if it's because she is having this sort of religious awakening because once we get to... Uh, this song about her mom, she does talk about how she kind of found Jesus in that process. But it's strange because she also uses this religious imagery to talk about kind of sexual awakening, kind
1: yeah, of. No... So
0: it's a weird mixture of religious imagery that I can't really get my head around. Cruel Summer is actually one of my favorites, I would say, from the album. I would I would edit the first song out. Why can't I remember the name of that? I forgot that you... Ex- <laughs> I forgot that fucking song existed because I can't um, remember... C-. <laughs> I'll give this one an eight, though
1: maybe an eight and a half. Yeah, I'd give this an eight and a half. Yeah, and I I feel like the other thing about this song that I uh, appreciated was that it had like some of those nice old details she used to bring into songs. Like at one point she says something like "head hanging low" and like the light of a vending machine or something. And yeah, I like, ooh, ooh. I
0: like that line too it almost gives me kind of a stranger things feeling like when they're in the arcade like i like that kind of like neon lights like i could see her doing something cool with the uh music video for this one okay on to the next we've got lover actually probably my favorite song out of the singles she released before the album came but right off the bat something that annoyed the shit out of me about these lyrics everyone fucking leaves their christmas lights up till january why are we (laughs) acting like that's special yeah that's what the hell? Like, January, that's like five days. Yeah. Maybe February, we got something.
1: I agree. <laughs> this song reminds me of a Starbucks commercial. Like, you know, those Christmas Starbucks commercials or that one with the AirPods where it's like ballerinas dancing through the street where they're oh, wow. like, you know, totally. Talking
0: yeah, about. yeah, yeah, that's so accurate. See, Elena's so good with the metaphor. I just get hung up on lyrics like, we leave the Christmas lights up till January.
1: Well I the lyric that struck me is is even more odd is when she says we can let our friends sleep or like crash in the living room this is our place we make the rules and I'm like is there an instance where you wouldn't let your <laughs> friends <laughs> crash in the living room <laughs> like you wouldn't allow that you would and you would need like your boyfriend's permission and that was odd.
0: Ew, that creeps me. I'm glad I hadn't noticed that before. I
1: do like when she goes Lover. However, she makes that noise. It's yeah, like breathy. It's annoying. But every time I open the shower, I'm like, lover. Extra. <laughs> right.
0: Wait, I have to say one more thing <laughs> on this one. When I, the word lover to me is kind of gross, gross. It's a but. Gross word. For some reason, this song doesn't irritate me as much as I thought it would considering that's repeated throughout and the fact that this album is called Lover. And a fun little tidbit for you, this album was almost called Daylight, which I'm a little mad it wasn't because that was one of my predictions that this would be heavily based on uh, Walking Into the Daylight or whatever, however she put it in her L interview. And that ended up being the last track's song title, but not the title of the album. And she switched it to Lover because she felt like this album encompassed all the feelings you feel in love and like the kind of roller coaster it is. But like the cozy feeling of it. So I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. But on to the next. The Man. Elena, I know you have thoughts on this one.
1: Well, the song begins and I'm like, I hate it. Because I hate empowerment songs
0: which is strange because we like women to be empowered.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I'm we sorry. both kind of feel this way. <laughs> I just feel like songs tend to be like pretty in your face about it and I by the time the song hits the chorus I really really like it. It's still pretty in your face, but I feel like it's a jam.
0: It's a total jam like this one you can bop to. Yeah. And that lyric about I know everyone's talking about that lyric about Leo DiCaprio, but I freaking love that where he said where she says I'd be just like Leo in Saint Tropez like Bam! I knew she was gonna reference some man by name on this CD, and I thought it was gonna be Joe, but I will take Leo DiCaprio.
1: I wonder why she picked Leo of all the men.
0: I think he is the. When I think of like a classic womanizer, I kind of do think of Leo DiCaprio because he's someone whose success is still so revered. And I mean, him winning the Oscar, he was like the number one person people were like, why the fuck hasn't he won an Oscar yet? So. I think that's why she picked him because he's so revered by the public. So many people were rooting for him, and yet he's currently dating Al Pacino's stepdaughter, who's like 22. So, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but again, this one just has some great lines, and it has a great catchy.
1: This song vibe. is really gonna rock, Soul Cycle.
0: It's also interesting because she says, "I'd be a bitch, not a baller," and this connection just came to my mind, but. If you guys remember, she took such issue with Kanye calling her a bitch in, in his track because uh, she said that she was okay with him saying the lyric about sleeping with her, but she was not okay with him calling her a bitch. So I think it's very significant that in this song she's trying to take ownership of that. I think a common thing we said about The Archer was that you're kind of waiting for it to climax the entire time and it just doesn't. It just kind of like putters out. Like you're just waiting. It's like a build, a build, a build, a build. And nothing. No release. No climax.
1: I also think this is like, now that I've listened to the album start to finish, I think that she's trying on this track to be lyrically more interesting. But she, in my mind, she fails so, so flat on her face. It's like... Not particularly intellectual, but she seems to be treating it as though. A-
0: All right, this next song, um, I think he knows. I've I've only listened to this once because I can't deal with the pitch that she sings it in. So I'm gonna let Elena take the wheel on this one and give her thoughts.
1: Oh, the I think goes- he knows. skip scared. But Wait, I'm like, sorry, <laughs> just to translate,
0: that lyric was I'm skipping down 16th Avenue.
1: Yeah, well, it starts out, and I'm like, I'm gonna like this song. Like, it started out, and I was like, I think I'm gonna like this song. It's the chorus that makes it sound like Lisa Frank is being murdered in a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Squealing all the way down. But in the build up, I really did like it because I like when to- she has songs where she has like a crush. Crush songs I always say are her best songs. Like delicate. Yes. Such crush feelings. So this one starts out, and I think I I recall that she says something about like his hands on a cold glass, like make me want to know that body, like Like it's it's mine. And I was like, Thank you. Thank you. That's what I mean about not being. This album, I will say, like, it has a strange, whatever the brain chemistry is of like, or. I don't even know what, how to describe it. Like, when you hear something and it gets stuck in your head, like, it has jingle power, this album. Like, you can't really... It's you an don't earworm. Like, yeah, it's an earworm. Um, but anyway, when I saw that line, I was like, this is... It reminded me about how you told me that she talks a lot about getting drunk, this album. Yes, that's another
0: common theme, along with the religious imagery. Again, some weird mishmash of themes going
1: on here. Um, the, the chorus, it, like... I, I noticed like weird sounds that make no sense. Like it sounds like like somebody pouring cereal in a bowl, but also I heard like a pop can opening. Oh wow, she's way deeper in this deep, than I am. Well, this is what I mean about the wormhole. <laughs> I was like, I just try what is she trying to achieve? It's it's so bad. This this chorus is so bad. It's potentially her worst chorus. It's you remember when people heard um, What's the the original Harry Styles one that was her? Few mistakes ago. I oh, remember. I knew you were trouble. I, yeah. I trouble. So remember when we all first heard that, and I think it was on Red, maybe, and we were like, "Ooh, this is weird." Like, I'm is it was it on Red? It is red. red. Mm-hmm. And we were like, "This is confusing. This is her dabbling in pop, and I don't know if she's nailed it." But then years later, we were like, "Well." Wait, I the... always liked. I knew you were trouble. Okay. Well, I had doubts. Like, I thought it was a little bit skrillexy. <laughs>
0: Totally but wants. now I
1: really like it, and but I don't think I'm going to feel that way about this song. I think I'm always going to think it's a dumpster truck.
0: It's always going to sound like Lisa Frank in a washing machine, which I now I want on a shirt. Yeah. Add it to the <laughs> list. All right, we're going on to another one of my least favorites. Right, Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. Another one I kind of want to barf over and just have not got through more than once.
1: Okay, here are my thoughts on this. So in addition to like the heaven and hell and drunk imagery throughout this album there's a lot of like throwbacks to high school era like cheerleaderness and I don't know if it's cuz now that like her diaries have affirmed that she was a full-blown psychopath with potentially no friends like there's one line in the diary where she's like and my friends came to the concert and helped me set up and then in pa- in a parenthetical she writes Kind of. Like (laughs) that was the shadiest (laughs) thing. Like she was unbearable. So I think it's like she never lived this existence out. Like, frankly, you know what Taylor Swift needs to do? Go to college. Yeah, totally. And I have I have a
0: lot to add to this actually. Okay. So this this high school imagery harkens back to I keep sorry I keep using harkens back to I don't know how else to use like
1: recalls, you
0: know? Recalls her norm her earlier albums. So in fearless uh the whole imagery of that was high school and her kind of being this band nerd uh, you know in relationship and as an antagonist in an almost like antagonistic relationship with the cheerleader girl mm-hmm. you know like these tropes and like even in- you belong with me. yes exactly like and you belong with me and even in the fearless tour that we attended okay. She dresses up in, like, a band outfit to begin with. So you're getting a lot of that high school imagery. And this is also in that song, and I'm so mad I'm not remembering what it's called right now, where she talks about, like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, where she's, like, looking out in the crowd, and it's, like, the homecoming queen and king. Yeah. What song is that? This is off, is it
1: off this
0: album no, old one, an old, old one. About, like, a, a home. She's talking about, like, her band, actually. Oh, long Live, Long Live. Long live. Long Live, lyrically, is very
1: similar to Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. I think there are some songs where she nails carnival vibes, like Cool Summer. I'm like, spin me around on those. That's the neon. You get the neon. It's
0: almost like a euphoria kind of vibe. like That kind of shooting style, I think, would work really well for that.
1: This song has some euphoria, and she's made friends with the uh, Apatow girl.
0: Oh, yes, because Iris dated Joe Alwyn's little brother. Always have Cornelia, <laughs> sweet. We'll always have this podcast. <laughs> the
1: thing I will say about Taylor Swift is that I think she's like, she's almost 30. What is she, 29? She's
0: 29. She turns 30 on December 13th. You're welcome.
1: Okay, so the other thing I will say about Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince is that Taylor is 29 and I was thinking that I don't know again I don't know if we're revealing this on the internet but we are 30 and there's something about turning 30 that makes you think a lot about being younger not because you want to go back there but because you sort of still feel young young and I'm It's odd, it's like she's but she skipped the in between. It's like her imagery goes right back to high school. Like she doesn't have any like there's no point of reference
0: from college, like you said. Yeah. You're not getting that sort of intermediary time to grow up and I think she was forced into like a weird schedule of growing up. It's because
1: it makes for uncomfortable, like kind of like out of touch lyrics at times. Yeah.
0: And you guys know I like to recall an old ass reality TV show. If you've ever listened to this podcast, you are familiar. And one time MTV ran a special where Taylor Swift took a random boy to prom. He like written in to go to prom with Taylor Swift and it was so uncomfortable because it was just like Taylor did not know how to navigate a high school experience. And guys maybe this is controversial but I know this is controversial because I don't think she was 18 yet, but why was Taylor Swift hotter back then?
1: <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh two glasses of natural wine and we're going there. I'm sorry.
0: She had a little tan, a healthy glow. She had the curly hair. She looked a little more vivacious. And now we're getting weird 50s Stepford wives. It's like one step away from Nicole Kidman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you also like... the. The diary that you showed me, there's the opening image is her wearing a crop top, ill-fitting sweater with granny panty shorts. Granny panty shorts over sheer tights. I don't know why she's wearing the tights. T-strap, like, chunky heels, and an enormous choker that's shaped like a rose. She looks like a batshit Nicole Kidman. Anyway...
0: All right. well those were some thoughts. (laughs) I have to talk about how in the diary there's at least two, if not three, references to dieting, which I thought was very weird and controversial to release those pages in today's climate because I feel like it's a very taboo thing to talk about, about like controlling your diet. Like she talks about going to Tasty Delight with her mom and how the frozen yogurt's only 30 calories and then she later talks about eating too much around the holidays and really needing to limit herself because she gains weight too fast. And again, I thought that was an interesting choice for her to include those excerpts from her diary
1: yeah uh, well also like when she was writing them it was pretty consistently throughout the years it wasn't like a teenage thing which I found to be right and it's not
0: like you see growth from it like she yeah. comes to realize like oh I have a more healthy relationship with my f- with food and my body you don't get that sort of ending to it unless that's in another diary entry I don't know but in my version you don't get that
1: so I thought that was interesting and now we are on to track eight paper rings so I first heard this song in the bathroom and I was curling my hair I will say for curling your hair it's a good song
0: yeah it's upbeat it's fun it's sing-songy uh, Kenzie and I talked about how it's kind of the stay, stay, stay of this album, which I agree with. It's easy listening. It's not groundbreaking. I like a simplistic little earworm that just cuddles on in there. Mm. Easy, takes One
1: of those a little nap. The, like, glowy ones. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah, with like the baby head and uh-huh. the glowing body. Yeah, I like that kind of vibe.
1: I'm trying to think of. Oh, this this song has. Um i kind of like interesting for at one point she tells apparently a personal anecdote about a cold like a frigid pool that he jumps in and she loves him so much she jumps in after him in this like freezing pool and I was like that's stupid rich people shouldn't have freezing pools
0: yeah where's your heater at hello ew our another repeat lyric we have on this is the word dirty she talks about dirty Ugh. dreams in this and that's That's one thing that kind of throws me off about this song. It doesn't go with the light vibes. And she talks about dirtiest jokes in Lover. So, which to me, every time I listen to it, I thought said daddiest. (laughs) Like, like a dad joke.
1: That's also a relic of turning 30.
0: (laughs) But instead, we've gotten dirty, boy. (laughs) So... Again, the imagery, Tay-Tay. I don't know
1: how I feel about it. Okay, this is now we just have to talk about it. Because I'm now I'm three glasses in. If she is not engaged or married, this album will be her tombstone.
0: And it should have been called Presumptuous.
1: <laughs> Correct. It should have been called Presumptuous. And it's like they're if they're not going to end up together and the odds are slim for any couple in America or London, London, <laughs> but boy. no matter what, the odds of them staying together forever are slim. And she's really, she's, she's planted that seed,
0: but she always has a way out. Cause she can always say, this is not about Joe. It's about someone else. That's why but she hairy. keeps things vague. You know, that's, that's why she doesn't mention names and just to give you the exact lyrics of the pool line she says in the winter in the icy outdoor pool when you jumped in first i went in too it's with you even if it makes me blue which takes me back to the color that we painted your brother's wall so it does get personal also we have another mention of blue which we see in cruel summer and blue blue, and this to me it speaks to her talking about love is blue and red and then saying but it's really golden which we're going to get to later so she loves to play with color imagery in a really basic ass way. Literally
1: primary colors. <laughs> Literally.
0: We got our red, our blue, and our yellow. So next we have track nine, Cornelia Street. She references the West Village living, and Cornelia Street is a street in the West Village of New York. Elena, as a New
1: York City guest, what do you... I will say that this song is going to make for excellent... This is my favorite song on the album. Mine too. Um... It's gonna make for it really I think this the success of this song is that this is when you have like your earphones in in the back of a cab and like buildings are bright and moving past you quickly and you're kind of enchanted by your surroundings, maybe a little drunk, which I think she may even she does. Say. We were in
0: the backseat, drunk on something stronger than the drinks in the bar.
1: And you're just feeling a little enchanted with your surroundings. Enchanted, but um, <laughs> That's what this. That's what this song achieves.
0: It totally does. It. This is a crush song. Yeah,
1: the best songs are crush songs. Yeah, and
0: because it. It's. I mean, it's kind of the metamorphosis from like the early stage to like being deeper in something, and then being like, "Well, shit, I can never go back to that place I was with you because we were too far in," mm-hmm. and. Honestly, this is probably one of her drunk lyrics I like. I like that drunk drunk on something stronger than the drinks in the bar line because it's kind of open-ended. You don't know if she's talking about like something naughty or something magic or, you know. It gives you those kind of like butterfly feelings that I like from her album. Which speaking of, she really doesn't talk about butterflies in this, so I really don't know why the butterfly imagery was so strong on the lead up to this album. Lots of thoughts are coming to me, guys, as this goes on. But this was also my favorite on my first listen through. This one stood out to me. I just think it's beautiful. And I think it's interesting that this is one of the only songs that Taylor wrote by herself. This one and Lover were uh, Taylor's sole genius, I guess. And I appreciate that. I think this is a classic Taylor song. And it I, I don't have anything bad to say about it.
1: And it, like, it musically is a classic Taylor song, and which is why she needs to go back to classic Taylor songs. Like, it has, look at this, even the division we're looking secretly, spoiler alert, online of the lyrics, like, pre-chorus, chorus, chorus, bridge. Like, Archer has none of these things. It's, like, one giant buildup that leads to nothing. And this song has so many different layers.
0: And Taylor likes a Bridge City
1: song. She's talked about this before. So when people lead her astray and don't let
0: her write that way... It's a disaster. Period. Period. <laughs> All right. Cornelia Street is a 10 out of 10. Fucking cue that shit up. Listen to it on repeat. Holy wow, I'm going to have to edit this podcast so much. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, this is Bailey from the present. And if you got this far, you are a champion. I'm cutting it off here. It's sort of devolved at this point. You can probably tell that I was getting a little too drunk at this point. But maybe in some future episode, if you're really lucky, I'll sneak in tracks 10 through 18. But until then, I will see you next time. Bye.